Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode, Jim, is special for us for a different reason. It's the first time we've had an, a regular listener to How Do We Fix It come forward and say, why don't you interview me about my ideas and, and my new book? It's kind of cool. We love it. Cooperation is a much bigger idea than competition because when you compete, you're doing something on your own with your own resource. And so there is a limit to it. Whereas when you cooperate you have the potential to access other people's resources. And so as a concept, it's already a bigger idea that can provide bigger solutions. So right now, many corporate boards, nonprofits, and sporting groups are asking themselves some fundamental questions about their organizational culture, their business model. A brand's reputation can be damaged or destroyed by the actions of a single person, Tonight, brave women everywhere breaking their silence about sexual assault. And now the Olympic gold medalist Michaela Maroney saying, me too. Protests can also cause upheaval. Good evening, I'm Jeff Glore, and we're going to begin here tonight with the divide over the national anthem. There were new protests last night in week one of the NFL preseason. Instead of looking at the controversies themselves, we're going to dig a little deeper into the business models. What is the best way to maintain reputation and grow a business or a cause? Is it more powerful to be the best competitor or the best collaborator? Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Our guest is British marketing consultant Paul Skinner, author of the new book, Collaborative Advantage, How Collaboration Beats Competition as a Strategy for Success. And Paul joins us via Skype from Skelmersdale, England, which I believe is in the north of England. Uh, welcome to How Do We Fix It, Paul? Thank you. I'm delighted to be on a podcast that I've enjoyed so many times as a listener. That's great. Because you are a listener, we're going to start with a question about us. Ooh, I love this already. Why do you listen? Listen to our podcast. Well, I love the podcast. I mean, obviously, it's engagingly presented and sumptuously produced. Um, but there are three magical ingredients, I think, that you have that really speak to the heart of things that I'm passionate about. So firstly, on each episode, you have a fascinating problem to solve. Secondly, you have the intriguing story of how that problem can be solved. And thirdly, I think you have... Um, 
implicitly in the idea of the podcast, a desire for the collective implementation of that solution to actually make a difference. And of course, those are the three basic components of a story, the beginning, the middle, and the end. First of all, problems give rise to stories in the first place. And then secondly, something I didn't realize until working on the book, but it turns out that we solve all of our problems with stories. As I've been going through your book, I've been struck by, in a sense, the audaciousness of it. You begin with a review of 20th century competitive advantage business theory, what the, um, in the days when business went from being done in kind of an ad hoc way into a strategic way, and you, um, you look at people like the uh, Harvard Business School thinker Michael Porter or Fred Gluck, who led the famous consulting company McKinsey, and you essentially say that the competitive advantage strategic theories that they developed are out of date, and you've got a new model. Has, has anyone told you that's a little bit cheeky? Yeah, um, I fully understand the audaciousness of it. I certainly concede that competitive advantage is the most influential idea about business that there's ever been. And Michael Porter is the most cited writer in the history of writing about business strategy. But fundamentally, I've come to view competitive advantage as having some limiting assumptions that actually cause us to leave ideas on the table that otherwise we could implement. So let's walk through what you say are limitations. Yeah, so I think the biggest limitation is that it causes us to believe that we inside the organization are the heroes of the story and we create value that you outside the organization simply receive or compete with. That causes us to overlook all of the tremendous possibilities that could have come from better seeing the outside world as co-creators of value alongside us. Early in your book, you say that competition and collaboration are not opposites. And that really struck me as, a, as an important insight, because I think when we're in businesses, we tend to be very focused on competition, but also a lot of critics of business or critics of free markets think that everything that happens in the market is just ruthless, dog-eat-dog competition. And you believe that it's actually quite different from that. Well, first of all, I think you're right. There's something in the words cooperation and competition that we assume they are equal and they are opposite. And I think neither is the case. First of all, when you cooperate, you have the potential to access other people's resources. And so as a concept, it's already a bigger idea that can provide bigger solutions. And then secondly, I would also say they're not opposite. In fact, you could even say that competition is almost a subset of cooperation in that you can only compete if you accept the same rules and play the same game. You, you uh, have a great example of a tennis match to show that. What, explain that. Yeah, of course. I was thinking about collaborative advantage when thinking back to one of the favorite tennis matches that I've ever watched, which was Andy Murray's first Wimbledon victory, the first time he won a, a slam. And so he was the world's number two playing Novak Djokovic, the world's number one. So you had the two best players in the world um, at what is probably the most competitive tournament in the world. So on the face of it, that was pretty much 
human competition at its most intense. But let's say we invited a, an unusual guest. We had an alien from outer space visiting Centre Court that day with the purpose of reporting back on how success is achieved on Earth. So what would they have seen? Well, they would have seen two people or two individuals holding very similar implements, hitting the same object back and forth within a mutually defined and agreed territory, accepting the oversight of another individual looking down at them, who himself is supported by a range of other individuals, some of whom are standing still and monitoring that territory, others of whom are supplying the object that gets struck back and forth. But the ball boys and ball girls. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And then, of course, they would have seen that taking place with 15,000 other individuals who have all agreed to turn up to take their pre-allocated spaces at the same time, the same moment in space, to agree to be fairly quiet during moments of action. So for one career-defining intense act of competition, they would have seen tens of thousands of acts of cooperation. And so surely when sending their report home on the subject of how do you succeed in life, they would have said that it's by stitching together thousands of acts of cooperation. Talk about the importance of building partnerships. There's one example, for instance, in your book about BMW and its mm. investment in, in a parking app. Yeah. So I would say if we're thinking cooperatively, the starting point for partnerships is to identify a shared common purpose. And so when you build a business around common purpose, it makes it easier to cooperate with customers and also easier to build organizational partnerships. Now, if we take the, the BMW example, that's an example with the Mini Cooper car. And so when people choose to drive a Mini Cooper, often it's in an urban environment, often it's because it's very practical, it's easy to park and so on. So a natural partnership for the Mini Cooper was to work with the parking app, Just Park, and integrate that into the dashboard of the Mini Cooper so that drivers of Minis could much more easily identify, pay for in advance, and even navigate directly to available parking spaces. And I think what this comes from, what this reveals is, is something that other people can emulate, um, is that it is so useful to think about not just your own purpose, not just your shared purpose with your partner, but your customer's purpose and build around that. Tell us about the group that you started called Pimp My Cause. Yeah, so I became really interested in the process of cooperation, how collaborative business models work. And one of the ways I learned about that was from volunteering my marketing skills on a number of charitable project that involved cooperation enabling ideas. And so I created Pimp My Cause that works rather like a dating site, but connecting professional marketers with charities and social enterprises they can support, and which has scaled now to support sort of around two and a half thousand charities, as well as helping marketers get better at marketing in the process. So it really has become a sort of living laboratory of creating collaborative advantage in practice. Or, or laboratory, as we say. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you quote the writer Ellen Lewis and, and her book about eBay, which says that eBay taught millions of customers to trust one another. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so... Um... One of the things I love the most about eBay um, is when you can outbid people at the last second. 
Now, it turns out that is made possible by something called sniper code. And that sniper code was both suggested and contributed by an early user of the eBay platform. And I think it's a wonderful example of how you can create extra value by working with your customers, not just for them. Um, I would say even more significant than the technological advances in platforms like eBay was the human insight behind them that enabled the, the founders to develop things like the, the user rating systems, the mechanisms of to be able to trust each other based on prior performance and so on, and an environment that really stimulated the auction process. Um, and since then, I've come to really appreciate the degree to which those principles of collaborative business models can be harnessed, not just by digital platforms and digital businesses, but by any kind of business, even very conventional bricks and mortar businesses. Um, so recently I was talking about creating collaborative advantage at a theater in Manchester called the Lowry Theater. Now across the concourse from the theater is a Pizza Express restaurant. And I would argue that the value created in that Pizza Express restaurant is fundamentally inseparable from the value created by the theater because it's the lure of the night out at the theater that gets you there and hungry in the first place. And most importantly of all, I would say it's inseparable from the value that you create with your friends, because however tasty those American hot pizzas might be, uh, it's far more likely that you choose to go on a night out with your friends and then work out where to eat than it is that you say to yourself, do you know what? I absolutely have to go to the Pizza Express. I wonder who I can get to drag along with me. How does this all relate to our podcast? <laughs> um, the question I suppose that's asked in the podcast in each episode is what is the solution to the problem? And listening to a number of episodes, a slightly different question has occurred to me, which is these are all elegant solutions. So why are they not already being implemented? Why are they not already mainstream? What's causing us to overlook that? And I think it is this story that we inside the organization are the heroes, the creators of value, and the people outside are passive. So to, to pick up on two or three episodes of, of the podcast, um, take the Leonard Doyle uh, uh, episode, for example. This was the one about migration, right? Yeah. So Leonard Doyle spoke interestingly about migration. And one of the points he made, which sounded really convincing, was that we needed um, among the humanitarian community to be more proactive in intervening in the social media channels that criminal traffickers use to make uh, baseless promises that lure people from difficult environments and contexts into handing over their life savings to undertake journeys that they're promised will be safe journeys to welcoming destinations when in fact they are perilous journeys that will threaten their lives. Now, that seems like an obvious solution. Um, and I think there is something embedded in the nature of humanitarian action that we can often think we as humanitarians have to deliver solutions that we're capable of delivering to beneficiaries, to affected populations. What food can we provide? What shelter can we provide? What protection can we provide? And that can cause us to overlook more fundamental questions like, okay, for people who are affected by um, a given crisis situation, what are the actions that they can best take 
to help themselves and the people around them? And how can we orientate our work as an agency towards enabling and supporting those actions? So what you're saying here is they need to take less of an inside-out perspective and more of an outside-in approach. Absolutely. Um, to give an example from another episode, you had Dr. Joe Habush talking about the need for more preventative medicine. Now, again, this seems like common sense. A hundred years ago, we died primarily from things like infectious diseases, where the intervention of the doctor was the critical thing. Today, our health is much more likely to be affected by a chronic condition, which is very much driven by lifestyle. So, of course, preventative medicine and actions we can take for ourselves that harness our own agency are likely to be the most useful. I mean, to give an example of how this can also lead to waste, if you take pharmaceutical companies in the UK, they're paid by the National Health Service for the medicines they supply rather than the medicines patients use. So they're incentivized to supply great medicine, but not so much to make sure that people take that medicine correctly. So simple things like if you have pills that you have to take each day, if the packet has the name of a day of a week next to each pill, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it is so much easier to know where you're up to. And sometimes companies will provide that, but often they don't, even though it would cost practically nothing, because people aren't thinking about the value that's created by people outside the system or the organization. They're thinking of themselves as the heroes of the story. This is the perfect moment before we get more examples to say to our listeners, think of the outside in, not just the inside out. Help us build our show and subscribe and download us on iTunes. It really helps our visibility. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our guest is Paul Skinner, who is a marketing consultant. He has written the book Collaborative Advantage, How Collaboration Beats Competition as a Strategy for Success. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Right at the beginning of our show, we talked about how many corporate boards, nonprofits, sporting groups have found themselves in deep trouble because of the actions of a few powerful leaders, usually men. Do you believe that if a company or a charity is more involved with its customers or the people it serves and has a deeper tie and understanding to them, that they're more likely to weather storms or weather controversies? There is a cognitive bias that we 
value things more greatly that we have been involved in creating. So, for example, I think there was an early team of consultants that went in to advise IKEA, the furniture manufacturer that supplies uh, packages where you assemble the items. A consultant went in and said to them, do you know, the first thing you need to do is to provide them pre-assembled so that people don't have to bother with the work. And that consultant was instantly fired. And I think with very good reason, because people value more highly something that they've been involved in creating. Um, also something that people feel a sense of ownership of. Now, in a competitive advantage model, the relationship you're seeking to create with the outside world is I create and you receive, unless you're a competitor, in which case you get defeated. Um, I would say in creating collaborative advantage, you're trying to build more valuable relationships around the premise that together we create. When it comes to cooperation or creating cooperative models in an organization, are women better at this than, than men in mm. most cases? Based on all of the available data, it would seem that women and girls are more empathic than men and boys. So when it comes to the future of leadership, it is, it is indeed possible that the future may be female. So here we are in our male podcast. <laughs> <laughs> coming to the close. Uh, Paul Skinner, thanks for joining us. Paul Skinner is the author of the new book, Collaborative Advantage, and makes an interesting case on how collaboration may well beat competition as a strategy for success. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. As someone who's worked a lot in the media business, this rings very true to me. You know, when you run a media brand, you are in a dialogue with your your readers and your your viewers. And I think for many, many years, that dialogue was pretty one direction. It was, say, if you ran a magazine from the magazine to the readers. But even then, magazines really treasured the feedback they got from their readers. And their readers often identified themselves in their lives as a certain type of of person, you know, if you were a Martha Stewart person. Yeah, and, and in your case, uh, popular mechanics, yeah, for example. Right, and when digital tools became available and that conversation became a lot more dynamic, it had costs and, and, and issues, but it also was an incredibly exciting time in the field because you really could build a sense of community, this two-way conversation, and expand out to a lot of more people who were a natural for your brand but may not have been you know, in the tradition of or in the habit of subscribing to paper magazines. So what he's talking about collaborating with, with your community, building your community, it, these aren't new ideas. He's not really saying these are brand new ideas, but I, I do think that digital technology has lowered the friction in almost every field it touches. It's lowered the friction involved in two-way communications between brands and customers. I would argue with Paul Skinner's view that the collaborative advantage is necessarily more important to businesses and causes than the competitive advantage. But I agree with him that the collaborative advantage or cooperation or understanding your customers is becoming more important than ever. I have a personal example. My daughter, Kate, who's running a, a yoga studio and, and soon to be two yoga studios, has done well in her business by understanding 
her customers. Instead of saying, we have the best yoga studio in New York, she, she's not just trying to offer the best kind of yoga. She's also having a, a, a relationship with her customers. She asks her teachers, for instance, to know the names of everybody who practices at a particular session. Also to try and remember if they've come in with a bad knee or if their sister or brother were sick the week before. In other words, knowing people, valuing them, and understanding them in a personal way. But she hasn't taught you the <laughs> fundamentals of marketing, Richard, because you failed to use the opportunity to give a lovely plug for your, your daughter's <laughs> yoga studio. I did until you prompted me, Jim. Yes. <laughs> so what's it called? It's called Yobi K, and it's based in South Williamsburg near the, near the Williamsburg Bridge. What I really like about Skinner's overall idea is the positive nature of it. And that these ideas can apply to not just to businesses, but to charities, causes, a, a range of fields. And one thing that I take issue with you, you said, I don't think it's necessarily anything new. I, maybe not brand new, but I do think that many businesses are moving in that direction. Yeah, I was actually trying to say that. I mean, a lot of the ideas have been around, but they have become easier. We have new tools to do these things. I also really love this fundamental idea that you don't have ruthless competition on one side and lovey-dovey, you know, kumbaya, a cooperation on the other, and that they're opposites. But in fact, they're even these companies that are entirely based on on cooperative behavior, like you know, like an eBay or an Etsy. Yeah, they're looking they're, at what the rivals are still, doing. They're competing. They're competing. YouTube is entirely collaborative, but they're also very good at sucking the money out of a lot of other businesses. So. You know, I, they're not ignoring competition, but I think that, you know, I do think it, it speaks to the way that, that a healthy competition can go side by side with things that we culturally tend to see with a higher cultural or moral value. And our social media feeds at here at How Do We Fix It, we promote other podcasts. We love podcasting, but we also think we're the best. <laughs> it's How Do We Fix It. I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies, and our producer is Miranda Schaefer, and our music is by Lou Stravinsky. Now, I'm not sure. I wouldn't say we're the best, but we like to <laughs> listen to the great podcasts. There's so much good work out there. We aspire to be amongst the, uh, the, the leaders, and we also enjoy learning from our our listeners and you know this show is a great example of that and if you want to learn more about how we put it together and uh and if you want to learn more about how we put it together the show is a production of davies content we make digital audio for companies and nonprofits at daviescontent.com hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.